I can't control God. It's a risk you take, you know? I can't control the wind yeah. or God. So then it's, five seconds then I will call out the tour director, but I'm just saying that if the wind blows, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control God. Talk to him. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. We are in the home stretch. Three more episodes to go before season nine is complete. This is our WTA year-end wrap. We went through our agendas for the entire year. We picked out the highlights, the lowlights. We asked you what were the things that you remember most from this season, what were some of the funnier moments, what were the things that ticked you off, what pissed you off in 2023. And we've got six pages to go through here. <laughs> it's so nice to have a template. You know, right. if it's if it's not broken, let's not uh, reinvent the wheel. Let's see how many corporate cliches, cliches. I can weave okay. into this episode. Yeah. Uh, circling back. Doing the reach around. <laughs> we are also launching our fourth GoFundMe. Is it the fourth one? Yeah. And this is when we do it every year, or whenever we've done it, in lockstep with Thanksgiving. We like to get ahead of... <laughs> the Christmas rush. Exactly. But Thanksgiving was pretty early this year, so it kind of caught me off guard. If you'd like to donate to support the show, you can go to linktree.com slash thebodyserve and make a donation there. You can also, by the time this episode is up, the link will be shared on Twitter, it'll be on Instagram... If you have supported us in the past, thank you so much. If you still think we are worthy of your support and you contribute again, thank you again. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, it's an if you can and if you want to kind of thing. Last year, we got into a little bit of hot water with oh. the folks at GoFundMe because we listed on the page some of the donation tiers. Uh, and yes. the campaign was suspended for a few hours, a few frightful hours. <laughs> We almost had to pay it all back, I think. Uh, but they have a rule where you can't have rewards or like sweepstakes as part of your your campaign. So ours are more informal. We'll tell you on the show, but like don't tell them. Uh huh. So we won't have it listed on the actual GoFundMe page. As of right now, we have landed on uh, if you donate one hundred dollars or more, you will get a body serve postcard, which we've done in the past. It'll be a new design, fresh design, as well as body serve bookmarks and we're also kind of workshopping this right now but if you donate five hundred dollars or more we will work with you to create a body serve history episode you can sort of submit a topic or a player who you think deserves a, a kind of a long form investigation and you're, we haven't really thought through <laughs> what this will look like but i think it would just be fun to collaborate with with a listener who was passionate about something, and we just figured it out. Uh huh. It's something we've talked about in the past doing as a reward, but we've always been hesitant to give up editorial control. Right. That That is the caveat. And it's something that we still will not cede completely. <laughs> the caveats here are that it has to be something that we are also interested in, that we feel we can generate an entire episode on. 
And there are just some topics we will not touch. We, we're not going to be doing a deep dive into Martina Navratilova. Just won't be happening right. at this point, for obvious reasons, I should hope, if you're a long-term We've... or even short-term listener of the show. <laughs> We've done enough, actually. But in the year of our Lord, 2024, it's, it's uh, not in the cards. Right. So you'll ideally submit a list of topics. We can workshop it together. Be prepared to be like, well, this is kind of a no-go for us. This is why. Maybe we could do this, you know, we're, we're, we're figuring it out as we go. But kind of why we've landed on making this available this time around is we genuinely want to produce more history content. Yes. On the last episode, we kind of gave people a jump scare when they were listening to the end of right. the episode. <laughs> They're like, oh no, are they retiring? It wasn't like a swan song. Yeah, a retirement discussion. It was a legit, like, thinking through where we want to go and and maybe not much will change you know some people said like don't change too much because you know what happens and we've seen this with podcasts and no i think people said don't change you said don't change because this is what happens (laughs) right because i have seen it you Uh know with things you love they they get too big or the hosts get distracted or busy or bored and you know, they fall out of love with their own product and the fans do too. So like, I never want that to happen. Right. So hopefully this will focus us to produce more of that kind of content, which yeah. if I may be so bold, I think that's where the body serve really sings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope I that would be the sweet spot for me, I think. Balancing regular tennis coverage with long form stuff that you can really kind of sink your teeth into. So uh, as always, the the fundraising campaign is if you're able and if you're motivated to contribute, it kind of just helps us produce throughout the year. A a lot of it goes to travel, of course, and we really want to continue going to slams, other tournaments. We are not completely dependent on travel to produce this podcast, but it definitely helps. Again, if you'd like to contribute, the GoFundMe will be up till the end of the Australian Open. That's when we do it. Give you a large berth, a large window, depending on what's going on in your life. There's no rush. The linktree.com slash the body serve. And with that, we will begin a look back at the WTA season. You started here with a, a retrospective. Uh, things we told you to keep an eye out for in 2023. And this is what we kind of predicted in January. Right. So in our preview episode at the start of the year, we did a, you know, what to look out for. And I went back and looked and saw what we kind of hit and what we missed. Mm -hmm. There were six things that we talked about. Two of them were WTA related. Four will appear on the ATP episode. Oh, okay. So these two specifically, one from each of us, I wanted to know where will the Georgie syndicate pop up next? That was something to look out for. (laughs) (laughs) coming after she caught a case yeah uh refresh the people's memory she was under investigation actually her whole family was under investigation for allegedly pursuing a fake vaccine certificate now she maintained that she went to this doctor just for a regular vaccine she got her shot and that was that and that the doctor is involved in some shady business she was not part of that And I think that's where it ended. Yeah, because we really didn't hear much about it afterward at all. No. She went on to win tournaments. She did pop up many times. (laughs) She did. She was Uh, never missing. I mean, Padre was fighting with chair umpires as usual. Padre. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then you contributed that we should look out for the unretirement of a slam winner. And that did mm-hmm. Mr. Oracle come to fruition. This was an easy one, I think. It's happened many times over the past five, ten years. But this one was not necessarily one I predicted, but of course, Caroline Wozniacki. Wozniaczka. No, I was not surprised by this at all. I expected it. I, I legitimately would have been shocked if mm. she stayed retired the rest of her career. The main reason is that it seems that what Serena has, she's always wanted. <laughs> and stop. So, stop. <laughs> coming back from having kids or returning to the tour from having kids, mm-hmm. I, I saw it in the cards for her. All right. I, I started to write down Svitolina, some other comebacks. Shia Sue of course, she counts as a slam winner making a comeback. Yeah. She was away from the tour for, I think, about 15 months. I think she does qualify because yeah. it was unclear if she ever would. At the time, this year, she was 37. Right. And it had been 18 months by the time she came back to tour. So, And we didn't really know what she was up to. She kind of just took a break. And then I thought about the uh, attempted aborted comeback of Lucy Savasheva. Well, that's kind of misleading because Savasheva wasn't a comeback. No, she was was just trying to play one or two tournaments to help out her niece, I think. It it looked like it was a comeback, but that's only because nobody had spoken to her about (laughs) it. Slam winners, right off the bat. We had four different ones. Would you have remembered all of them? Of course. If you didn't look at it. That's... that's the easy part. Like, if I can't remember that, there's a big it's problem. It's not a crazy question. <laughs> it's We're older now. We're, what, what, what are we called? Uh, I mean, we're technically elder millennials. No, no, what's the, geriatric millennials. That's, That's the so, term. Wow. That's the term. I mean, mm. we forget things now. We, we take in a lot of tennis. It's easy. To, that Maybe we have to think about it. Oh, a God, little bit I forget harder. things all the time. But the slam winners, if I can't remember that, we are in big trouble. Australian Open, Arena Sabalenka, French Open, Iga Sviantek, Wimbledon, Marketa Vondrosheva, and the U.S. Open, Ms. Coco Goff. WTA Finals, Iga Sviantek, and the Elite Trophy in Zhuhai, won by Bia Haddad Maya. This year felt like a reset when a player like Iga or Serena or Chrissy ever. And, you know, going back further, when they have such a dominant year and just soar above the rest of the competition, a lot of times it'll take a year or two for the rest of the field to kind of reach that level, tug on the wig a little bit. You're referring to Iga's season last year in 2022. Iga had the most dominant season of tennis in the post-Serena age. She had the longest win streak of the century, and it was going to be hard to replicate that. But by the end of the season, it felt like, well, who can stop her if she continues this? She dealt with some injuries. She dealt with some confidence issues. And we saw a bit more diversity in in the winner's list here. We've talked for years about parity on the WTA Tour. It looked maybe at the end of last season that Iga was creating a, a wider gap between herself and the rest of the field. We saw that parity become more concentrated at the top of the WTA tour this year. Yes. There became a separation between the top of the tour and everybody else. Mm -hmm. We heard a lot of talk early in the season about this 
purported WTA Big Three of Iga, Arena, and Yelena Rybakina, but it did become a top tier of those three plus Coco Goff, plus, uh, I guess you could say Jesse Pagula. Plus Jabur, plus, right. <laughs> you know, many different people. But as we winded our way toward the end of the season, Iga Shriantek really started to assert herself again as the dominant player on tour. If she is playing well, nobody can touch her, right? I think that's what she left the season with with me feeling. That's the overall arching narrative of the tennis season. Getting into some of the minutiae, pop quiz. What song does that bring to mind when I say pop quiz? Pop quiz? Mm, I don't know. There's a stranger in my house. Pop quiz. Oh, um, what? what's her name? Grant Hill's wife? Tamia. Oh, I love her. <laughs> no, I really do. Miss <laughs> Tamia, who also sang Officially Missing You and Into yes, You. Yes, those two, with come, fabulous. they come up on my Spotify all the time. Mm-hmm. So, pop quiz. I'm going to ask you who won these tournaments of the 1,000 level, the 500 level, and then we'll fill in the rest. What? But it's don't re- look. It's don't right look. in front okay, of me. Okay, but don't look. Okay. You're not supposed to look. Okay. Yes, cover it. Who won Dubai? Uh, Barbie K. Yes. That was an easy one, because every time Barbie won something this year, you were very excited. <laughs> yeah. Who won Adelaide 2? Uh, Benchic. Okay. Oh, okay. Who won Charleston? On oh, Shabor. I don't like how easily this is I going mean, for you. I have read it. Mm. It is on the agenda. I'm not looking at it now. Who won Canada? Uh, Jesse. Okay, so this is this moment of me trying to embarrass you on air is failing spectacularly. <laughs> I mean, if you picked like some of the 500s, it would be harder, I think. Okay, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. When even is that? I don't know. Iga? Benjic. Okay. The thousand level mandatory events, of which there were four, Indian Wells was won by Rybakina, Miami won by Kvitova, Madrid by Sabalenka, and Beijing by Sviantek. You mentioned Dubai, where Barbara Krejcikova beat Iga Sviantek. In Rome, Rybakina won her second thousand level tournament of the year. So by this point, she had won Wimbledon in 2022. She'd competed mightily on hard courts, making the final of the Australian Open, playing one of the matches of the year, winning Indian Wells, and then winning on clay in Rome. So this is a woman who has the goods. Mm-hmm. Canada, of course, was Jessie Pegula. Coco Goff really lit up her summer, winning Washington and then Cincinnati. And Guadalajara was the surprise of the season. It was a draw that was rocked pretty badly by withdrawals, but Maria Sakari won her first 1,000-level title. That was a tournament where anything goes. She played who? Caroline Dolehyde in the final there. That completes the 1,000-level tournaments. On the 500-level, there were two tournaments in Adelaide to start, Adelaide 1 and 2, won by Sabalenka and Bencic, respectively. Bencic then doubled in Abu Dhabi. Doha won by Sviantek, aforementioned win by Jabur in Charleston. Iga Sviantek won in Stuttgart. We were in Berlin. Yep. Remember that? I do. It feels a long, long time ago. But Petra Kvitova won her second title of the season in Berlin. Eastbourne was won by Madison Keys. You mentioned Coco Goff winning Washington, D.C. 
San Diego won by Barbie Kay, Tokyo by Kudametova, and then the final 500 of the season. In Zhangzhou, Qin Wen won her second title of the season and really like capped off her year in a big way. And next we'll do kind of a recap of the season. It won't be an exhaustive week-by-week recap, but these are the highlights that I think speaks to the overall themes of what's happened this, this season. Where were we at the start of the 2023 season? That's a good question. I mentioned that Iga had completed this historic season. She won two slams. She had a 37, I want to say, 37 match win streak. She was flying high. But people like Yelena Robakina were asserting themselves. She won Wimbledon. Uh, Robakina comes into 2023 dangerously underranked. <laughs> and it turned out bad news for other people more so than her, because they had to face her early in draws. And underranked because she gained zero points for winning Wimbledon in 2022. Right. Carolyn Garcia had just won the WTA finals, beating Sabalenka in the final there. Naomi Osaka announced her pregnancy the day of the Australian Open draw. That meant that the two most recent Australian Open champions were not in the draw. And that's because Ash Barty had previously retired the year before. She won the Australian Open in 2022, retired in March. She wasn't there this year. Naomi Osaka announced her pregnancy. They were both pregnant at the same time. Jesse Pagula started the season by thumping Iga at United Cup, and she ended the season by getting destroyed by Iga in the WTA Finals. We came full circle there. Well, where we started at the beginning of this year was a new hierarchy asserting itself at the top of the game, right? This era of parity, which probably lasted four, five, even six years without a truly dominant champion, aside from Ash Barty, that had ended. This is why people were so hungry to talk about a big three on the women's tour. Right. Obviously, they also like to frame women's sport in the shadow or looking at it through the lens of men's sport. And so because... The ATP has its big three. Well, let's do a big three on the WTA tour. It's lazy. Right. But I get it. I understood why it happened. And the results lent themselves to this kind of narrative. Because legitimately, by the end of Miami, where Rybakina won Indian Wells and made the final in Miami, where Sabalenka wins the Australian Open, and where Iga Sviantek is still number one. You see the cresting mm-hmm. of a big three. Totally. Rybakina beating Iga three times this year. Sabalenka reaching at least the quarterfinals in every tournament through May, right? This this consistency from her was fairly new. It just felt like several people were threatening for that top spot. But then you have to actually play these big, big events. Mm-hmm. We get to the Australian Open... This is a year removed from Sabalenka's massive serving yips. We heard about the biomechanics specialist, sports psychology. It seemed to be pretty well solved by the time we reached the Australian Open. There was also lots of talk about the Netflix curse at the Australian Open because damn near everybody who was featured in Breakpoint fell by the wayside either through injury, withdrawal, or loss. Mm Mm-hmm. Within the first week. Kyrgios 
Tomljanovic, Badosa all withdrew. There were early losses for Berrettini, Jabir, Fritz, and Rude. We had surprise semifinalists at the Australian Open in Vika Azarenka and Magda Lynette. Vika had this excellent run where she beat Sofia Kennan, who was the 2020 champ, Madison Keys, Jesse Pagula. Sviantek lost in straight sets to, you have here again, the underranked Rybakina in round, round of right. 16. I'm sure players were kind of pissed off to be having to face her as the number one seed in the round of 16 and not later. In the final, Sabalenka, who fixed her serve, had 17 aces. She beat Bencic, then overcame a 1-5 record against Bencic Avenger Vekic. <laughs> what kind remember? of tongue twister did you have me just say? <laughs> Do you remember? Vekic said she wanted to get revenge for her bestie. And she did not. She overcame a 1-5 and five record against Bencic Avenger Vekic. Yes. In the quarterfinals. <laughs> And she plays one of the great recent slam finals versus Rybakina, winning 4-6, 6-3, 6-4. And in doubles, Krajikova and Siniakova win their third slam in a row and their fourth out of the last five. This was a monumental win for Sabalenka in her career because she'd been in big moments. She'd wilted in big moments, shown an inability to get out of this one mode which is throw the kitchen sink at everything. Mm -hmm. And this was sort of the opposite of what we saw in the U.S. Open final, where Coco Goff's defense and speed really wore Arena down, and she just started to hit error after error. This Australian Open was so important for her because she'd been in heartbreaking semifinals before that 2021 U.S. Open semifinal where Raducanu and Fernandez were the ones to get to the final, a Wimbledon semifinal that she didn't win. And it honestly, after she won this, looked like we were observing a new player. Also a player who repeatedly failed to handle the question of Ukraine in a satisfactory manner. Yeah. This... When the template was there, seemingly to onlookers to us, there was an easy way out, a soft touch. That could have been applied, and as is in keeping with everything that she does, it was heavy-handedly addressed in the wrong way. This bubbled up uh, the most at Roland Garros when she had to play Alina Svitolina, and it, you know, looking back, and I think we said at the time, it just felt like she was getting bad advice, or no advice at all. I just wonder, you know, when you're at that level in a sport, you're a celebrity you have management. Why are you not getting better advice? Or maybe you're just not taking it? Because some of these questions were not all that difficult. Well, And it took quite a while to get to, no, I don't support the war. Well, this is a charitable view on your point. We don't know just how many fucks she had to give. <laughs> right. There may have been none. Well, I think she was backed into a corner. I think she was trying to avoid the question by saying, I don't want to put politics into sport. But she was eventually kind of forced to answer. <sighs> As we move into February, uh, we get an early season title for Alicia Parks. She's rising quickly. At the end of uh, November 2022, she was ranked 150. She wins a few titles then, and she's ranked number 51 in February. This foretold kind of a promising year that wasn't actually to be. It didn't really shake out like it was looking like, 
Uh, she excels on indoor courts, definitely, but struggles with making a, a mountain of errors sometimes. All hope is not lost. We saw her play live at the U.S. Open. Fabulous first set against Dasha Kasatkina. Mm-hmm. The talent is clearly there, but the refinement in the game, not quite there yet. Remember this. Varvara Lepchenko was banned for four years. She appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. It was reduced to 21 months. Uh, she had tested positive for the substance modafinil, and the CAS found that the substance was in some capsules that she was taking, and it was not listed in the ingredients. So they reduced the ban. I just noted that because Simona's case will be going to the CAS soon. There is precedent for this sort of thing, but Simona's case is obviously much more complicated than this one. Uh, I remember the time thinking, this is the the girl who cried wolf, because this is not Lepchenko's first uh, run-in with the anti-doping authorities. In Doha, Iga completely decimated the field, winning eight sets... Well, she played eight sets, she won eight sets, and seven of them were either bagels or breadsticks. (laughs) She had one set that went to 6-3. This is the thing with Iga Sviantek. When she's right, when she's in the mood, when she's feeling herself, perhaps it's surface-specific, perhaps it's opponent-specific, but few people outside of Serena have dominated their opponents. Mm -hmm the way Iga Sviantek has done in the last couple of years when she's ready. And we're talking fellow top players. Yeah. It's not just, you know, the, the person ranked 100 in your first round at a slam. I mean, she was in tears after her loss to Pagula at United Cup. She was drummed out of the Australian Open. She probably felt, hey, I have something to prove. But she was also dealing with an injury during the spring. I believe it was a rib injury. And it took a while for that to be resolved. It doesn't continue into the spring, though, because here we have Sabalenka and Rybakina in Indian Wells. They get a rematch of the Australian Open final where Rybakina turns the tables and wins in straight sets. And again, Rybakina beats Iga in Indian Wells in the semifinals, after which Iga withdraws from Miami and Billie Jean King Cup with the injury. In Miami, Petra Kvitova overcame the humidity which has been a notorious <laughs> career enemy for mm-hmm, her, mm-hmm. to win a tournament that she historically hasn't done very well in. Winning her ninth 1,000 title in Miami, beating Rybakina 7-6-6-2 for her 30th career title. It's been years, almost a decade, since Kvitova won her last slam final. When was her last actual slam final? Was it 2020 or 2021? I believe it was 21 when Osaka beat Kudova in the final. Right. So she's had that. She's had big moments. But she hasn't gone on to have the Grand Slam career that we all thought she would. Mm -hmm. Even after the unfortunate home invasion attack and the injuries that she suffered from that. Right. She's had moments where she's had stunning runs still. She clearly still has them in her. But on the Slam stage, it hasn't happened for her. We thought maybe this year... At Wimbledon with the win at Miami, with the win in Berlin, that maybe Kvitova could do it this year. Didn't happen. But still, an incredible career. Her nine 1,000 level titles is good enough to put her second on the active list behind Vika Azarenka. And that's since they started counting 1,000 level titles in 2009, I believe. 
30 career titles puts her second on the active list again behind, behind only Venus Williams. You blinked and you were in the clay season. Anshabur had to pull out of the entire Middle East swing and she reasserts herself on clay where in Charleston, South Carolina, she beats Belinda Bencic in the final. She gets herself into form on the clay, albeit green clay. But as we mentioned on the podcast this year, success in Charleston is often historically a harbinger of success to come at the French Open. Yes. Jabour was a previous finalist at Charleston. Bencic was the defending champion. Bencic had a great first few months of the season and then kind of disappeared for the rest of the clay season with injury. And by the end of the year... Is pregnant. Yeah, and she'll be out for a while. Mm-hmm. Moving into the big tournaments in clay, that's Stuttgart, Madrid, and Rome. We get, for the big three believers, the true believers, this was the truth. Schwiontek beating Sabalenka in Stuttgart, Sabalenka beating Schwiontek in Madrid, and then Elena Rubacana winning Rome. The extended Madrid and Rome tournaments were what? To, in my opinion, a disaster. Unmitigated flops. As a viewer, from from somebody sitting at home and watching, I've found them very difficult to follow. And it's like Indian Wells in Miami is enough. Those are already too long for me. But this is the trend. More 1,000-level tournaments are going to become extended in the coming years. Slog after slog after slog. March, a slog. April into May, slogs. That sounds so weird when you repeat it a number of times. Slogs? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we'll get into it. The Madrid stuff. Oof. It was a complete shit show. When we asked the people what pissed you off the most about the, the season... Madrid was the top. Rightfully so, people are still big mad about what happened to the women in that doubles final. So we will talk about that a bit later. Rome was rocked by bad weather, by terrible scheduling. The women's final didn't start until 11 p.m. And the trophy presentation was bungled as well. So you have two tournaments in a row where women's trophy presentations either did not occur or were just completely disorganized. In years past, a lot of folks, I'm sure, were wont to dismiss these gripes, these complaints about the treatment of WTA players at these joint events as kind of one-off situations. As well, tough luck. It's really not targeted. But we saw this year incidents in close succession that paint a picture of, even if this is not by design, which in Madrid it was, to be mm-hmm. 100% frank. Even if it's not by design, you can't ignore the cumulative evidence and that, by and large, the women are treated as second-class citizens on the tours. Yes, I think we saw in this stretch, this stretch of very important clay tournaments in Europe, it was not benign neglect, it was malignant neglect of the women's part of those tournaments. Cancerous. Oh, yikes. Carolina Mohova. Amazing. What What a moment. What a moment. What we, a series of moments. Ugh, we both had her listed as a breakout candidate coming back from injury, and this is where she starts to shine. 
She drew Maria Sakkari in the first round, and many, many people predicted that Mukhova would score the upset there. Of course, she did. She beat Pavlyuchenkova, the 2021 runner-up in the quarterfinals. And then, I mean, this was where she truly asserted herself. In the semifinals against Sabalenka, winner of the previous slam, she is down 2-5, love 30 in the third set. And a match point. <laughs> and so Arena Savalenka has this massive breakthrough moment in Australia. And you think that this is going to continue on throughout the year. That we won't see these moments of collapse. These moments of frailty. They continue to happen for her throughout the course of the year. Culminating at the US Open. Yes. Th- this semifinal was, it was perplexing. Because it really did feel like a choke. And I don't like to use the word choke. In the final... Of course, Mohova is up against Iga Svantec. She's down 6-2, 3-love. And then what happens? Then she starts to frustrate poor Iga. She just switches things up. Not poor uh, Iga. <laughs> I mean, she was mad though. But I think this was such a great experience to watch because somebody really forced Iga Svantec to play, to think through a match on clay. A a surface where she's capable of being so dominating. She goes on to win the first eight points of the third set. Mohova did. Yes. Shiontek, of course, righted the ship, but it was a truly exciting match to watch. And so we now have an Australian Open final that was a banger. We have a French Open final that was a banger. Mm -hmm. Let's not get ahead of ourselves because the third (laughs) slam final of the year was not... It was quite the opposite. Ooh. We'll get there shortly. The uh, third final was when you buy Jock Jams or Wow compilation, you know, those CDs in the late 90s, and you get through the first four or five songs and you're jamming out you're hit after hit, and then you get to like Mamba number five. No. <laughs> those albums where you realize they front loaded all the good songs, yes. and then you just have filler. Uh, wow, that was really unkind to my girl. Al Shabur. I think she would agree that it was mm, perhaps not the best moment. <laughs> Before we move on from Roland Garros, though, we had another player making a comeback, like Carolina Mohova, She Su Wei partners with Wang Xinyu to win the Roland Garros doubles titles. She's been out of the game for a long time. Listeners, consider how amazing this was. Like this lady, She Su Wei is unlike any other on either tour. The unbothered queen, the casual queen, she just comes back after 18 months and says, I'm here, not wor- still not worried about it, and I'm here to secure bag after bag after bag. <laughs> right. Wins Roland Garros. Partners with her girl Barbara Streetseva in her final year of playing before her second pregnancy. She's pregnant now. Did you see that? Mm-hmm, I did. They win Wimbledon. Just casually winning majors back-to-back. Shea also makes the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Will finish the year ranked number six in doubles. And didn't play until well into the clay season. Grass season. This is where we made our return trip to Europe. Where we finally got to attend the Berlin Open. Mm -hmm. We had planned to attend in 2020 its inaugural hosting. That, of course, was derailed by COVID. Yes, We fought to get our hotel credit extended long enough for us to get there. Uh, Our first ever trip to Germany and Berlin, of course. 
absolutely loved it. Would recommend it to anybody. 10 out of 10, five stars. I got to watch Yelena Rabakina, the defending Wimbledon champion on grass. Um, I got to watch Ans Shabur. Donna Vekic. Dasha Kazatkina. We saw... Who, who looked at me, and I think she knows that I'm following her. Not like in a stalking way, but... You're going to have to do better than that <laughs> to convince people otherwise, because that sounds hella creepy. No, for real. I, at pretty much every Following tournament... Following her how? Well, at every tournament that I've been to and she's been to, I, of course, seek her out. Okay. I seek her matches yeah, out. Uh-huh. But I'm not an autograph person, and I don't I don't talk to anybody. You're just that creeper in the distance. And I don't, I don't ask for pictures. I'm just there. But I felt like, and this will repeat, at the U.S. Open when she turned to the camera to... Uh, to talk about her YouTube channel, mm-hmm. I honestly felt like she saw me and for the and, gay that you are, and really saw me uh-huh. at the Berlin Open, and I think that's why she speaks to people. She said, "I smell a little gay boy. <laughs> I see a little gay boy." <laughs> and I'd, I'm not the type of person who is demonstrative at all at sporting events, and I don't ever attempt to talk to players. Um, but I just kind of wanted to say, like, "Hey, girl." Okay. <laughs> Anyway, Petra Kvitova wins her second title of the year at Berlin. Listen, we also saw the Wimbledon champion at this tournament. Oh, we sure did. Mm on court one or court two, because there were only three courts in Berlin. And this is where Marketa started to really put some stuff together. You know, in her comeback from, I think, wrist surgery last year. It. I mean, I don't think many people predicted a Wimbledon title. But she was a runner-up in Roland Garros. Nobody predicted a Wimbledon title. Marketa hadn't even won many matches in her (laughs) life on Uh, grass. Right. But she didn't come in without a pedigree, of course. She was a runner-up at Roland Garros in 2019. She won the silver medal at the Olympics in Tokyo. And has just had a lot of bad luck with injury. Now, Anjabur, this would have been such a moment for her. And... We were rooting heavily for her yeah. on that Sunday morn. I mean, look at the receipts. Look at the run. She beat the defending champion, number three, Rybakina, number two, Sabalenka, number nine, Kvitova, who had just won Berlin, and meets somebody in the final who had not been tested on grass over her career, just does not have the experience. The story of Ansa's career has been one of... The upstart of one who is breaking barriers, of one who's had to overachieve to get where she is, who, to be frank, has never really been the favorite in any of her big matches. Right, right. And here she arrived in the Wimbledon final with the entirety of nations behind her Mm -hmm. as a trailblazer in this moment where... Damn near everybody wanted this for her. I can't imagine that it was even close to what she wanted for herself. The pressure must have been so immense. And it showed, frankly. She was up in that first set, not playing great tennis, but doing enough. Marketa wasn't playing very well. And the first instance where she slips a little bit, Ants, it's the end of the world for her Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. She completely locked up in that first set in the middle of that first set and it was all downhill from there it was 
the most difficult tennis viewing moment for me of 2023. Yes, because you could see it all over her face. And her opponent could probably feel the energy too. I feel like everyone sitting at home could feel that shift. And it's just like she got stuck in it. You know, like nothing could bring her out of that funk. And it was so early in the match. And it also did a disservice to Marketa because right. the takeaway for a lot of folks from watching that final was, wow, you really lost to that woman. You you lost to that girl. Right. Just like she, that, wasn't, she wasn't doing anything. That aunt She fumbled. did the bare minimum and you fumbled the bag. <laughs> when if you follow Vandrosheva, you know that when she's playing well, there are players that don't wow you with winners, who don't blow you off the court. They're not pushers. She's not a pusher. Mm-mm. Don't make that mistake. But when she's unsung, when she's playing well, she's forcing errors from you. That, she can't that miss lefty serve. her movement. Everything she does on that court is in service of frustrating you and pushing you to error. And in that moment, what aunts needed to do to, to meet the moment was to stay steady and not be rattled. And that's where she lost the plot in that mm-hmm. final. Kudos to Vondrosheva. She... She did the thing. No, it was a truly impressive run. She beat uh, five seeded players to win that tournament, including number four, Pagula, obviously number six, Jabor, Kuda Mertova. She beat uh, Alina Svitolina in the semifinals, who had beaten Iga Sviantek. That was another big story of Wimbledon. <laughs> Alina reaches the second week of her second consecutive slam uh, in the semifinals at the first time at Wimbledon. Now, as a, a player who had left for maternity leave, had come back, we didn't really know what to expect, and she excelled almost immediately. Her rise up the rankings was phenomenal. How quickly she <laughs> she came back in Charleston. Mm. And I remember watching yes. that match and thinking, oh, there's so many rough edges here. I don't know how you, in this current climate of the WTA, smooth those out. Mm-hmm to have the kind of success that you had before. And within a couple months, she's having more success than she had before, looking like a better player than she did before, being more aggressive, hitting harder. It was astounding, frankly, yeah. what Elena Svitolina did in the spring months into summer this year. I remember thinking, uh, as a Coco fan, we are, you know, we are in bad shape right now because Coco went out in round one to Sophia Kennan, who herself put together a much more impressive stretch of play than she has been playing. And in spots this year, we saw her come alive. We saw the famous Kennan strut. We saw confidence in spurts. She looked like she was so close to being back-back a couple times this Mm -hmm. year. And that augurs well for 2024. Right. As we mentioned, Xie wins her second major, this time with Streetsova. They beat uh, Mertens and Hunter in the final. And Storm Hunter is actually your year and number one in doubles, by the way. Mertens is number two. Moving into that summer clay, hardcourt swing, those strange few weeks before you get to the U.S. Open, Zhang Qinwen starts this big upswing by winning Palermo in July. But once we get to hardcourt, the summer truly belonged to two American women in Coco Goff and Jessie Pagula. You mentioned that, one, Coco Goff was down bad. 
by the middle of the summer. After the grass court season, it looked rough for her. It was mm-hmm. difficult to talk about her play on this podcast. Yes. And then we get word that Brad Gilbert has joined her team during the summer. And the results, alongside Pierre Reba, they just start coming. <laughs> they were and even, immediate. They were immediate and each one more explosive, resounding than the next. You know, you're looking at me like I'm crazy here. I know that it took a lot of seconds to get there. Well, the listeners won't know that because no, it will be edited I by will. then. <laughs> no, I... She... It starts in D.C. Mm-hmm. A smaller tournament, a 500 tournament. And that is the biggest win of her career. And then a couple of weeks later, she's winning in Cincinnati. And that is the biggest win of her career. And she's beating Iga at that tournament for the first time. And it doesn't even matter if Iga was tired or she wasn't feeling well that day or wasn't in good form. A win is a win. And it's going to give you confidence as a player. And then you're kind of tempted to think, well, that's cute. We're certainly not going to put the pressure on her as a U.S. Open favorite. You know, like it Mm -hmm. still would have been a leap for me at that point. Yes, yes, totally. But then she leapt. (laughs) (laughs) She leapt into an entire different stratosphere. That was an electric run at the U.S. Open. She came in with these massive expectations, a lot of attention on her from U.S. fans, of course, because she is an exciting player. I think she sells tickets. The U.S. Open was really motivated to Mm -hmm. to sell her. They put her on opening night. And a lot of fans of other players are big mad about Coco Gauff and the attention she gets because she cuts through outside of tennis in ways that maybe Jabir is the only one that can do it I mean, on the WTA tour right now in a completely different market, but th- this is what the WTA needs, right? And they're trying to sell tickets. We're not going to fight about posters, okay? We're just not. We're far too old for that. It is just a fact that Coco Goff is a star. And this win, this summer, just catalyzed that growth exponentially. I have never had as many people come talk to me about tennis as when Coco completed that run in New York. Mm -hmm. Her position as a youth who is adept with using social media, who is winning the US Open and on that court with the trophies doing TikToks, (laughs) who is uh, able to sell the sport in ways nobody else can on the WTA Tour. Nobody nobody can do it like she can right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it has some folks big mad. And I think part of it is because you can watch her and still see that her game is not all there yet. It is still very rough around right. the edges. I love, no, honestly, I love when people are like, you you know, it's, you should not be able to win a major with that forehand. I'm like, well, she did. Turns I mean, out. Some of our legends of the sport won many majors with glaring weaknesses in their game. Did you? Hello. It's telling like, me. Have you ever seen Chris Everett serve in volley? No, I, I don't think it's so. It's telling me you never watched Arancha Sanchez Vicari <laughs> because that was one of the jankiest, <laughs> crouched, restricted, inhibiting, prohibitive <laughs> forehands ever to play the game. Right. But that is a four-time slam winner, mm-hmm. a former number one, one of the greats of the open era. Who took it to Steffi. Time and time mm-hmm. and time again mm-hmm. on multiple surfaces. There are multiple ways to win in tennis. And Coco Goff unlocked 
another one for her at this tournament with her movement. Yes. I'm not here to now say and pontificate like a lot of people did in that moment that, wow, she's the greatest mover since Steffi Graf. She's the greatest <laughs> mover in the history of the sport. Yes. I'm saying in this moment, her grit, her determination, being wrapped up in this summer of improvement, in her purple patch, Coco Goff locked in and unlocked something new for her in that final and frustrated the hell out of Arena Sabalenko. As someone who was ascending to number one during that tournament was guaranteed to reach that ranking, regardless of what happened in the final, and blew through Coco in the first set, just blew her off the court, and it felt hopeless. Mm-hmm. She left the court, came back, and she said, I'm not missing balls. I may not hit forehand winners, but I'm not mm-hmm. missing balls. I'm going to be a little more aggressive. You blast- I'm going to play crazy defense. You blast a forehand down the line, I'm going to get it back. You're going to have to hit an overhead, and then you're going to have to hit another overhead. And then another one. And then you're still going to lose the point. <laughs> Coco started the tournament, as I said, on opening night. Placed first on a ticket with herself and Novak Djokovic. This is huge, right? They're clearly trying to make her the focal point of American tennis at this United States championship. She gets a player I did not want to see in the draw. Laura Siegemund. Oh my God. A very tricky, very talented player. We know that. She was up to some some tricks and some wiggery and some tomfoolery in that the match. The word you're looking well for documented. is scam. Gamesmanship. Scammer. Scam artist. Scammery. Scam wiggery. Anyway, it's well documented what happened, but it was unclear that Coco was even going to get through that match in front of the Obamas. Mm. The other story of this US Open was the culmination of black players rising in tennis. We saw Taylor Townsend just captivate crowds at the U.S. Open, uh, ascending to this sort of mother-like figure in American doubles tennis. We saw, of course, on the men's side, Ben Shelton reaching the semifinals. Archie Fies, innocuously on an outer court with packed crowds. (laughs) You could not get into. Could not get in. And then, of course, Madison Keys, the U.S. veteran a uh, woman we've known since she was 14 years old. She's been out here for a long time. She's reached the later stages of a major many times. Still winning tournaments. We saw her win in Eastbourne this year. She had deep runs at the start of the year. She's been there or thereabouts consistently the last couple of years. In a way where it almost surprises you to see her that high in the rankings. I don't right. know if anybody else has had that experience. Yeah, Madison to me is a player who I feel like is just always around, is always dangerous, but I think sometimes it's easy to forget about her because she's been a stalwart for so many years. She'll win Cincinnati, right? She'll win a thousand level title. She'll go deep in the Australian Open, maybe lose some points because she didn't defend those points. And now she's back in the US semifinals and playing the tennis of her life, the tennis of anyone's life what against she, Arena Sabalenka. What she did against Arena Sabalenka in that first set. Absolutely outrageous tennis. Your jaw drops, and before you can even pick it up off the floor, you decide to just leave it there. Because it just, the <laughs> hits mean, keep coming. This was one of the most impressive displays of power tennis I think I've seen. It was the purplest of patches. 
Oh, right, whatever that means. <laughs> and then we get to six love, five, three. We're so close and it, it unravels. And it's so hard to what you said. Watching Jabour in the Wimbledon final was difficult to watch. This was devastating to me. It because was. I felt that Madison could leave that match saying, I played the best tennis of my life. I played at a level that almost no one alive will ever reach. And I still couldn't do it. I hope she doesn't think I I hope she doesn't think that way, but that's where I was feeling at the end. But the difference is from that Wimbledon final is that Madison, and this is no knock on Ons, Madison did not embarrass herself. No. Not that Ons did, but Madison stayed the course and tried to troubleshoot her way through that match, tried to stick with Arena, did not let the moment get to her. She didn't go away. Right, right. It just didn't happen for her that day. And her devastation after that match was... It it was heartbreaking. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened if Keys and Goff faced off in the final. Coco Goff wins her first major. Sabalenka still becomes the number one player in the world for the first time. And as we go into the fall season, I feel like there was a lot of retrospective about Iga's stay at number one. And I was like, guys, she'll probably just get it back. Uh, This is not a past tense thing. The post-US Open... Part of the season saw the WTA return to China, which was a big deal. Mm -hmm. They did not get what they demanded when the WTA decided to boycott China after Peng Shui's accusations of sexual assault against a senior Chinese government official. They didn't get an investigation. They didn't get true confirmation from Peng herself that everything is okay, but they went back to China took a lot of flack for this because they took a moral stand and were kind of forced financially to back down from it. But the WTA finals did not return to China. You remember right before the pandemic in 2019, the finals were in Shenzhen, China, and had a, at the time, a record in men's or women's tennis for the purse. What were some of the results from that fall swing? We saw uh, Zhang Qingwen's continued breakout she had won Palermo in July. She wins Zhangzhou and then is the runner-up in the WTA Elite Trophy in Zhuhai. This is also after finishing the U.S. Open in the quarterfinals. We saw a resurgent Leila Fernandez, Krejcikova winning San Diego, Kudermatova winning Tokyo out of nowhere. Maria Sakkari winning Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. Beatriz Haradmaya had these excellent results here and there in the year. And she gets the double in Zhuhai, winning both singles and doubles. We're kind of speeding through the fall season here because it's most recent in ours and your memory. We've just covered it. This all leads up to the WTA finals, which are eventually held in Cancun after much consternation about whether it's going to be held in Saudi Arabia, whether it's going to be held in Prague, Czech Republic, which, hey, would make sense. Right. So many of your top players... I mean, the history of Czech tennis on the WTA Tour stretches back decades. Mm -hmm. Or Washington, D.C. was another bit. Mm -hmm. We we heard that the organizer who made the bid for the event being in Czech Republic was Big Mad. Oh, he was. Big Mad. Gave several interviews. There were issues about getting Russian and Belarusian players into the country because they had been denied visas previously. 
they supposedly got confirmation that the Czech government would not stand in the way of Sabalenka and Zvonareva coming, for example. Those were just two players who had the pen- potential of reaching the finals. And Zvonareva made the finals and won the tournament yeah. in doubles. Yeah. But they chose Cancun. Uh, we, of course, very recently covered this. It was viewed as a disaster by many fans and many observers. It was a complete shambles, which is why we named that episode <laughs> Shambles. Yeah. It was an unmitigated disaster. I would, I would love to know more about... Oh, you know, who dropped which balls there? You know, what did the Cancun organizers overpromise what they could do? Uh, why were we in this position in September where we still hadn't announced where the WTA finals would be? There were so many problems that converged on Cancun. And then you got the weather. Mm-hmm. But when the dust settled, when the waves subsided, when the storms cleared, the clouds cleared, mm-hmm. when it was all said and done... Iga Sviantek, 6-1-6 love over Jessica Pegula in the final, back to number one. And all narratives that we went through, recycled, thought were going to ride through the end of the season, all vanquished, all disproven, all cast aside with Iga back where she belongs. <laughs> Walloping Pegula in the final, beating her closest rival for the top ranking Sabalenka 6362 in the semifinals Iga showing herself as the one player who could triumph over the conditions in Cancun and get through it and so we finished the year with Iga Sviantek at number one some 245 points clear of Arena Sabalenka she'll have of course 2,000 points to defend at the Australian Open which Iga will not after losing in the fourth round, this could be a pretty clear path for Iga to maintain keys to that penthouse. Coco Goff, a career high, finishing at number three, slightly ahead of Yelena Rybakin at number four, Jessica Pagula number five, Ons Chabur six, Marketa Vondrosheva seven, Karolina Muhava eight. Maria Sakkari much maligned. Maria Sakkari still hanging on in the top 10 at number nine. I mean... This is not nothing. She snatched those 1,000 points. This is still points. an achievement for her. Mm-hmm. Barbora Krejcikova, number 10. Just on the outside, Beatrice Haddad Maya, number 11, Madison Keys, 12, Yelena Ostapenko. Look look at the talent. Haddad Maya, a slam semifinalist, Zhuhai winner, Keys, a slam semifinalist, Ostapenko, Sviantek vanquisher, Kvitova, Miami winner, Chin Wen, pretty much the biggest up-and-comer there is right now. I mean, the depth of talent right now is truly impressive. But that top 10 feels correct. Statistics from the season. Were you? Is that the Timothy Chalamet rap? Have you ever seen that? <laughs> from when he was a child? <laughs> Statistics. Oh Statist- I thought that's yeah. what you were saying. The only thing Chalamet related in my head is that SNL performance, where he did the oh, Troy Sivan. <laughs> Most titles, Iga Sviantek, again, winning six titles. From eight finals. Most doubles titles, Laura Siegelman. You just cannot shake her this year. The most overall titles, if you combine singles and doubles. Still, Sviantek has the most, alongside Krejcikova and Coco Gauff, all with six. I wanted to look at the head-to-heads, the big three, quote-unquote, head-to-heads. Uh, Rabakina beat Sviantek three times this year. 
and Sviantec won zero matches against Yelena. They had very different years, though. <laughs> it doesn't mean that Yelena had a better year. I think, the, of course, the injury in the spring, and then what happened in Montreal with the scheduling truly derailed a lot of her preparation, and it, it changed the tenor of her season. Also, do you remember how much we talked about the relationship between herself and her coach? Yes, and her coach's tendency to speak out loudly about various things and how, to me, it feels embarrassing as a top player to have a coach who acts like that. How it was discovered that he had a burner account on Twitter and was going <laughs> after people at the end of the right. year. Do you Which remember that? wasn't even really... Uh, I mean, he was using his own name, Stefano. Well, people didn't... He was right. clearly incognito. Uh, yeah, yeah. But not that deep incognito. Not like Nick Nurse, the former coach of the you Toronto will Raptors. not let that My go. enemy. You, you know were, how long I rode for Nick Nurse? You were wow. a Nick Nurse stan for so long, and now you've cast him aside. You've cast no, because Fred you, Van Vliet aside. Not Fred. But you know what I'm seeing? Now I'm seeing the Raptors were for, what, three seasons after Kawhi, Kawhi left not moving the ball, having these guys just stand on the arc shooting bricks. Right. How many possessions? It was, oh my God, it was so difficult to watch. Okay, but you have one of the biggest ISO players in history in Pascal Siakam on your team. And, so that's why the stagnation happens. And he routinely fumbles the bag at the end of a game. Anyway. Well, that was a diversion we did not need. <laughs> no. Uh, the matchup between the number one and number two players, Sviantek and Sabalenka. Sviantek won two of those matches, and Sabalenka won one. Okay, what about Sabalenka and Rybakina? Where's that? Where's that head-to-head? Head oh. head? Well, it was very lopsided, but that changed. They met four times this year, and they were even. Each won two. So what you're saying here is Rybakina is the GOAT, based on these head-to-heads. What is <laughs> yeah. the takeaway here? Yeah. What's the point? Um, I don't really know what the takeaway is. I think the big takeaway is that she beat Iga three times. Okay. The WTA has offered some award categories, and they begin with Player of the Year. The nominees are Sviantek, Sabalenka, Goff, Pegula, Rabakina, and Vandrosheva. Player of the Year, pretty clear. Your rankings... See, this is the problem I have with awards, is that your rankings are supposed to accomplish this. There doesn't actually need to be an award. The award is the rankings and the money and the trophies. No. Not yeah. always, yeah. because there have been instances where, and I know you've lived through many seasons where Miss Williams has won multiple slams and is not number one. Mm -hmm. And so and if you give an award to Serena in that year, you're exposing that your ranking system doesn't work. No. Yes. It means that Serena doesn't play the tour often enough, or she doesn't win enough at regular events. That's important too. Mm -hmm. Then she can't be player of the year then. She can be if you win the most important ones. There's a volume <laughs> issue here. I'm it's, just It's saying. moot this year because Iga, to me, is clearly player of the year. How is she clearly player of the year when she's only 200 plus points ahead of Sabalenka? If the metric is sure. you, won, you've, you, you have the most points. Okay. Well, for me, she won one slam like Sabalenka. Okay. She won the most titles of the year and she won the WTA finals. Okay, Sabalenka has a slam title, a final. Mm -hmm. More consistent in the late stages of slams, sure. Sure. The first half of the year didn't lose before the quarterfinals. There are arguments to be made for many people here. All right, for two people. 
the doubles teams. But what, of the hold year. on here. What? I don't think there's much discussion. I mean, Coco can't win it, but she won a slam. She won a 1,000. She yeah. won a 500. She did the business in doubles for a lot of the year as well. There, there are a lot of things that she did this year. Yes, I agree. There, no discounting. Okay. But to me, the, the rankings are co- correct. All right. So you're going with Sviantek. I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. I'm not prepared to stick my neck out for either one. All right. Doubles team of the year, Goff Pagula, Hunter Mertens, Dabrowski Rutliff, Krejcikova Siniakova, Zygmunt and Zvonareva. The big, big caveat here is that Shea is not nominated, even though she snatched two of the majors, two of the four majors. And I guess because it's team, like she played with several different people, it would be hard to isolate. But Right. Do you go with doubles player of the year? Right. Is right. anybody going to beat her as the doubles player of the year? There, there are a few options here. Goff and Pagula won Doha and Miami. They were the runners-up in Madrid and Rome. I'm sorry, but it's not going to be Goff no, and Pagula. it's not. Hunter Mertens, who finished 1-2 on the year, won Rome and Guadalajara, runner-up in Wimbledon. Dabrowski Rutliff, U.S. Open. A big surge at the end of the year. I'm sorry, but it won't be Dabrowski <laughs> Rutliff after what they carried on with. Krejcikova Vasiniakova, they... F- we're not consistent throughout the entire year, but they won the Australian Open and Indian Wells. And then Zygmunt Zvonareva won four titles, including the WTA Finals. I don't know. To me, this is very tough to pick. Because, that, again, two of the majors yeah. are out. Um, Krejcikova Vasiniakova won a major and a big title. They have a claim to it. Zygmunt Zvonareva did the most winning. Let's just give this award to Shea Suwe. We make up the rules. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's Shea. That's it. It's always <laughs> Shea. Most improved player, meaning a player who finished inside the top 100 and or showed significant improvement throughout the season. There's Wang Jinyu, Zhu Lin, Katie Bolter, Zhang Qingwen, Jasmine Paolini. Zhang Qingwen won Newcomer of the Year last year. Yes. There sometimes there's confusion about like what is Newcomer and what is Most Improved. And it's not helped by the rules that the WTA sets out because there is this big and or. But Newcomer is, I think, geared more toward people who are just making their debut in the top 100. It's not a strict rule, but it's, you know, it's leaning that way. Most improved player? I don't know. I have no idea. It could be Zhang again. Who would be mad? Well, she improved, what, 10 spots? Is that enough? To say you're right, the most improved right. player when you haven't had a breakthrough at a slam at that high ranking? I don't know. Well, I, quarterfinal. Mm, All right. It's not Zhang for me. I think one. there's an argument for Zhu Lin. Yes, I absolutely agree. Her uh, first career title, fourth round at the Australian Open. I'm going to go with one of Wang Jinyu, Zhu Lin, or Jasmine Pauline. All right. I mean, I knew you weren't going to pick the, the British one. The British one. One of of the Katie's. Newcomer of the year, meaning a player who made top 100 debut and or notable accomplishments during the season. Mira Andreeva, Diana Schneider, Peyton Stearns, Avanesian, and Linda Noskova. Well, I know who the establishment wants us to pick. (laughs) Um, So I'm not going to pick her. No shade against Andreeva, but she's gotten... 
so much promo. I'm going to go with Peyton Stearns. That's what I'm going to go with. America. Not that. <laughs> Comeback Player of the Year. The nominees are Marketa Vondrosheva, Muhova, Svetlina, Shie, and Pavlyuchenkova. Strictly by achievement, it has to be Karolina. If you're putting her in this category... You think so? More so than Vondrosheva? She came back from... Well... I think the first four have a legit, like, equal shot at yeah. it. Pavlyuchenkova, not so much just because her achievements didn't rise to the same level. Not that we're not happy that she's made a comeback. She no, made a quarterfinal at Roland Garros. But it didn't. But, exactly. She didn't, it didn't reach yeah. those heights. I got ahead of myself because I'm such a fan of Mohova. <laughs> yes. That I now realize that I was being stupid. Oh, not stupid. It was just an opinion. Dim. That's not better. Uneducated. Okay. Marketa is top 10 Wimbledon champ. Yeah. Carolina is also top 10 French Open finalist. And, and then Svitolina. Uh, Svitolina was technically on maternity leave, right? That's, that's not an injury. Um, right, but in the absence of a category that states player returning to tour from maternity leave. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is the category yeah. that she would fit. And you would struggle... To find a more electric return to tennis mm. than Elena did this year. Right. Because of the different look she gave us. You also had Caroline Wozniacki coming back to tour this year. We did. Do you want to say anything more on that? Not really. What was her notable... It was the fourth round at the US Open. Yeah. It, the achievements weren't quite there. Why? And then after the US Open... Reaching the fourth round in that first major no, back was a big deal. but to be in this deal. category. Oh, yes, yes. And agree. then she dipped after the US Open. She said, see you in 2024. Mm-hmm. Which is her prerogative. Yes. Again, taking the Serena route. Yeah, toss up there. Toss up. Breakout players at the start of the year, we each list the players we think are going to have breakout seasons. And we give from three categories. Somebody who's currently ranked in the top 50 we expect to have a breakout season somebody ranked 51 to 100 and then somebody ranked outside the top 100 this year you went with barbara krychikova from the top 50 yula Nimar from the 51 to 100 region and then diane parry and karolina muhova from outside the top 100 i'm not really sure why i picked krychikova Considering she was already a slam winner. I'm sure I explained it, but I I didn't go back and listen. Because few people in tennis excite you as much as Barbora (laughs) Krejcikova. It's true. You are a stan. It's so random. So Babs did win two titles. She got that big win over Svantec at Dubai. But looking back through the year, I think she had too many early round exits. And this era-defining doubles team, her and Siniakova, has dissolved. So... What does that have to do with the question at hand? I think my prediction was fairly neutral. However, she is back in the top 10. Yes, she is. Yeah, you tried so hard to correct me, but I thought she was 11. I thought she was 11. Okay, yes, she is. So yeah, it's not a bad pick. Mm -hmm. Uh, My 51 to 100 pick was Eula Niemeyer. She had reached the quarterfinals of Wimbledon in 2020... Two. two, yes, where she got no points. Unfortunately, she started this year at 65. She's now down to 158. So I feel like my prediction wasn't that great. That was a fail. <laughs> yes. And then Diane Perry. I do not know why I picked Diane Perry. I don't really know her, to be honest. Uh, but she did improve her ranking by 20 spots. So nice job to me. 
and Mohava, obviously, that at the time I think it was a pretty easy pick, but she far exceeded my expectations. My pick for the top 50 player was Zhang Qinwen. Well done. To you? I mean, it wasn't a bust out year. It was incremental improvement. Good career firsts. It wasn't mm. like, you know. Steady, each steadily building on these titles like Coco did. In the 51 to 100 region, I had Alicia Parks and Linda Furvitevo. Mm. Uh, up and down. Not great. <laughs> and then again, I picked Carolina Muhova. A challenge for you. Mm-hmm. I'm setting you up another, here. Not another one? No. This one you can do easily. Just be succinct. This section is... <laughs> that is a challenge. <laughs> this one is called WTA Business. WTA Business has become a recurring thing to talk about. Yes. And this year was no different. So give us a quick recap of what all went down. Okay. In March, WTA announces a $150 million investment from CVC Capital Partners. This is an equity fund with a focus on sponsorship sales, media rights, gaming, and NFTs. I'm laughing at the last one. Not NFTs. How much has changed since March, right? The goal overall was to reduce the gap in what broadcasters and media companies are willing to pay the ATP versus the WTA. We learned in uh, one of Matt Futterman's recent stories for The Athletic that women's tennis earns roughly one-seventh of the media rights fees that men's tennis does. So that's the money you get to operate the tour, basically, and getting broadcast deals, streaming deals, stuff like that. That's the bread and butter. If there's that huge of a gap, the equal prize money thing is going to be too hard to fix. CVC will remain a separate entity. It will not have representation on the WTA board. They have not taken over the WTA, but the goal is to generate revenue sell the product, and their theory is that equal prize money will lead to a higher valuation of the product. And like clockwork, in Madrid and in Rome, those tournaments did their very best to devalue the WTA product. And in Madrid, because a small little man had his feelings hurt. We'll get to that. WTA announces shortly after that women will earn equal prize money in the big tournaments, the non-slam tournaments by 2027. Earlier this year, WTA hired a director of safeguarding, Lindsay Brandon. Uh, the goal is to create a safeguarding code of conduct by 2024. Pam Shriver felt that's already a year late, but we're on our way. There was a lot of talk this year about protecting players from abuse, talking about player-coach relationships. Currently in the code of conduct, they're highly discouraged. But of course, they are banned if the player is under 18. There was a lot of talk about the WTA Finals, where it was going to be. It wasn't announced till around the US Open that it would be in Mexico after hearing all these bids from different countries. There is, of course, a lot of speculation that it will land in Saudi Arabia next year. The public investment fund from Saudi Arabia has not been shy about courting the ATP and the WTA. And it feels that the women's tour has kind of been testing the waters on what public sentiment is toward working with Saudi Arabia. That the Cancun decision was essentially a soft launch, a soft landing spot for the WTA finals this year. One where they didn't have to make a long-term commitment, that they could, oh, oh, we hear the negative backlash, we hear the feedback, 
we're going to throw that ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Is that how you say it? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to push it forward and hopefully we don't have to commit to multi-year involvement in Czech Republic and maybe y'all will forget about this by next year and we can do what we really mm. wanted to do. But you see, Gaudenzi has been doing a lot of PR work about moving something to Saudi Arabia. He's talked about next gen. He's sort of hyped up the social progress that's been happening in Saudi Arabia. Billie Jean King, at first against it, has now spoken out several times in support of kind of making overtures and... Billie Jean is all about engagement, right? She is this old-school liberal that believes diplomacy and and dialogue and incremental steps can really help. She gave an interview with Matt Roberts of the Tennis Podcast. We have yet to listen to it, but if you want to hear her current thoughts, her most current thoughts on this issue, that's where you should listen to it. Martina and Chrissy, as the other two elder stateswomen of women's tennis, are very firmly against any involvement in Saudi Arabia. Mm. their more authority doesn't really mean a whole lot to me right now, if I'm being perfectly honest. The Saudis are apparently in talks to try to purchase either Miami or Madrid. IMG is looking to offload those tournaments. And then they'd be able to move the tournament, potentially. Right, right. And overall, both tours are looking to install a 10th 1,000 level event somewhere in the calendar. And of course, speculation is running rampant. We don't know where it will be. Uh, It won't be next year, of course, but it could be coming. This is the part of the episode where we engage with the questions that we ask listeners. Ahead of each year-end show, we ask a few questions, frankly, to try and jog our memories. It's a bit of a cheat (laughs) for us. And I hope it also gives you all a sense of inclusion in the process. The first question we asked was, what will you remember from this season? At Death by Tennis says, quote, Very little. (laughs) Fair enough. If that is your truth, speak it. (laughs) At Shoals Talks Tennis, who can always be relied upon... For mess. (laughs) ...says MS versus SLFs. And it took me a minute. I did not know what he was referring to. But I almost don't even want to utter it because I never want to be a target of this person. Because I have a fearful respect for what they do. (laughs) Uh, The YouTuber, Sabine Lasicki fans, versus... Maria Sakkari. Not Maria Sharapova, but Maria Sakkari. She was not pleased that there was a video compilation of all of her... Failings. Shortcomings. Exactly. And uh, she let us know that she's seen it. A lot of you mentioned Coco winning the U.S. Open, of course. Shannon, the big joker, Tennis T, Liza Librarian, CL Morin 61. And uh, at CDH111 said watching Coco in person at the U.S. Open. Me too. Well, you didn't see Coco win the tournament. But they did. Oh, well, now I'm jealous. I mean, (laughs) you know, you should never compare yourself to other people. I got to see Coco more than one time. During my time with the U.S. Open, got to see your opening match. Very grateful for that. Definitely one of the highlights of my year. Shannon Clark says, Alicia, Alicia being Alicia Parks, Alicia saying, quote, I'm dropping whoever I signed with to play with Townsend. <laughs> she didn't actually say that, did she? Right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't quite tell if this was tongue-in-cheek or an actual quote. Either yeah. believable. 
And then the big joker says that the Townsend Fernandez pairing, which I agree. Their interviews were so cute. And they made a lot of noise on the court this year, too. The Taylor Townsend shimmy? I mean. Shook. It had people it shook shaken, shook tennis upset. World. It had people upset. Ellen Courtney and Kathy C62 were both excited for Iga returning to number one. That's something they'll remember from this year. Vondrosheva featured a couple times, one from at RDM Tennis Fan, as well as at Lee Magella, for her Wimbledon run. And for saying she's going to get a tattoo right after her victory. And that her coach is too. That her coach, that her, <laughs> that her coach must now, yes. the next day, get a tattoo as per the binding agreement in the contract. <laughs> At am I the drama underscore said all the doping and players seemingly wanting to make it easier to dope slash avoid being caught slash reduced punishments. Well, I didn't expect someone to go there, but uh, you're not wrong. And I would include not only players, but journalists looking for reduced punishments. But I'm staying out of it. Y'all know we talked about this. Gabe Trivia, alongside Am I the Drama, mentioned the casual dominance of a certain Taiwanese queen. Love what you did there. Casual queen. Bookending the sentence. Finally from Am I the Drama. Had a and lot. yes, yes, you are the drama. <laughs> <laughs> BJK thinking Saudi was a good thing. Oh, wait, no, it's a bad thing. Oh, no, it's certainly good because money. Oh, no, it's bad because sexism and homophobia and corruption and murder. And while the sequence of this may not be wholly accurate, <laughs> the general gist mm. of flip floppitiness of a change in perspective, it rings true. Glam Swim Tennis said, how much big tennis disdains women, both WTA and ATP? Uh, and I think we'll expand on that in our frustrating moments of the year. At Parker E, Svitolina's run at Wimbledon, beating Iga along the way. At MCK Paris, Muhova's incredible run at Roland Garros. Moments that pissed you off in 2023. Well, actually, too many of you responded with the Madrid cake gate and the doubles trophy presentation controversy. Too, too many? many? Too many to name. Okay. No, I mean not too many. I mean everybody. <laughs> okay. Everybody should be naming this. But too many to, to reference here. As a quick refresher, what happened in Madrid... Uh, See, what had happened was... <laughs> yeah. Feliciano Lopez is the tournament director. This was a tournament that was previously owned by... What's his name? Jan Tiriak is no longer, but the culture has remained. The Madrid organizers gave Carlos Alcaraz a huge birthday cake. And shortly after, they gave Sabalenka a very tiny one. And <laughs> Sabalenka was just being funny, where she kind of highlighted the difference between their cakes, right? But the whole thing really kicked off when Vika Azarenka tweeted, quote, couldn't be more accurate about the treatment. A number of players called in and they said, yep, uh, yeah, you're, you are telling the truth about the treatment, the discrepancy in how women and men are treated at this tournament. And it felt like Arena's cake tweet, the photo, was kind of a bat signal that the WTA players rallied around. And this incited what you have here listed as, quote, an idiotic tweet storm from the tournament director, Feliciano Lopez, as well as Mark Pecci. Who... It won't be the last either. Feliciano demanded 
that people on Twitter explained the inequities present in Madrid. And then he he said, there's equal prize money here. What do you want? And then he would go on to joke about it in the subsequent weeks. But it gets worse. Gets much worse than the cake. As we said, it was not always about the cake, right? It was much bigger than that. After Azarenka made that tweet that kicked everything off, she wins the doubles title with Haddad Maya, and the women's doubles finalists and winners are not allowed to give a speech in Madrid. It just kind of wraps up. They're ushered off the court, and you see the players conferencing with them with themselves on stage. They're like, "Um, what's going on? Are we not going to talk?" And why did that? Was that just a coincidence? And then they're just kind of laughing because what the fuck? I think the the outsized reaction from WTA players to the cake incident should be a signal that something is amiss here. Because you don't, you actually don't often see players rally like that about a specific tournament with complaints. Yeah, and the dismissal of the concerns as, oh my god, are you really riled up about a cake? It tells me that for a large swath of people, reading comprehension is dead. That there is a yeah. deficit. There mm-hmm. is a lack of understanding. There is maybe even a willingness to not read between the lines a determination and not not listen not listen to the people who are actually impacted so we get to rome which is the next big tournament after madrid as i said earlier the women's final was delayed until 11 p.m after both of the men's semis were finished the weather was bad but you're getting a women's final of this big important venerated tournament ending at like 1 a.m and then the trophy presentation was absolutely shambolic. They forgot to even let Kalinina, the runner-up, speak. Rybakina had to pass her the mic. And so now you have two tournaments in a row that are important to the calendar that have utterly devalued women's tennis as a product. And the response of the WTA was simply not good enough. Kudos to TikTok Tennis for highlighting this for us in the responses to this question. Someone mentioned the Amarissa Toth Zhang Shui incident, and I I admit I could not remember what it was. But what happened was <laughs> Toth, this was a, a tournament in Hungary. Toth is Hungarian. She appeared to erase a ball mark that was currently under dispute, that Zhang was trying to dispute. It was a few points past, but video showed that the umpire was incorrect in the call. Zhang was trying to get the tournament referee down here. Once Toth did that, Zhang basically had a meltdown and retired from the match. And this is after quite a while of being away from home and talking about how difficult mentally it's been. And I mean, her fellow players rallied around her, but they also really ganged up on Toth for quite a few days. It was not sportsmanlike. It was a crappy thing to do. And then to celebrate once Zhang retired, not great, but it became way too much. Right, because if something like this had happened with a more highly ranked player, and we've seen instances where more highly ranked players do stuff out of pocket, Mm. you don't get this outsized response. Yeah, You don't get this uniform, we are all in this together to fight the evil. Mm. It felt like a lot of punching down. And while Toth was clearly in the wrong, it's kind of too much 
it was, Th- that's what I was it, left it was with because it was punching down at some point, and it made me think if you all can have this collective voice and this passion for this issue, think of what you can accomplish in other areas. At Dustmill forty six mentioned that the poor scheduling and the late finishes were things that really pissed her off in 2023. Well, we saw that, of course, in Rome, in Montreal. Kazatkina even had uh, Rabakina on her YouTube talking about that match that ended at 2.55 a.m. That has to get better in 2024. It has to. Simply Mm -hmm. must. What were some of your funniest moments in 2023? Well, this one came up a few times. So many times. Alison Risk... (laughs) Her Carolyn rant at the Australian uh, Open. Okay. If you're uh, Carolyn, you are the tournament referee. K-E-R-R-I-L-Y-N. Do you think she started the Australian Open thinking her name was going to be in the international press? That it would be part of the title of a podcast episode? That everybody would know her name? Well. What happened was Alison was playing doubles. She hit a ball that hit her opponent in the leg. And as you know, as Serena Williams has explained several times now, (laughs) if you... Maria Jose Sanchez, right? Martina Sanchez, yes. Uh, And she re-explained the rules a few times. Uh, If you are hit by a ball in tennis, you lose the point. Everybody knows that. The umpire missed it. And the person who was hit also did not call out and say... You know, yeah, it hit me. No, they you missed it. They missed it. They didn't realize that they were hit. Right. It was... So the opponent didn't own up to it. Allison calls for the tournament referee, and it results in one of the greatest rants we've heard probably in the the run of our podcast. She says, what the hell is he doing up there then? <laughs> in response to the fact that Carolyn can't really do anything because she wasn't seeing it. The umpire is not going to reverse his call. So this whole conversation is moot. Afterward, Risk tweets an epic call of poor sportsmanship, tennis's future, and offers to fund a tennis technology slash VAR startup venture. This tweet was doing a lot of work. She subtly took a dig at her opponents. She talked about how tennis is in trouble if we don't innovate. And she really kind of made her pitch to be the founder of a tech startup related to VAR technology, or at least an angel investor. It was quite impressive. Other funniest moments? Courtney Nguyen at Fortiduce Twits, you may know her. She offered that when Dasha Kasatkina broke the fourth wall was one of the funniest moments in 2023. Mm -hmm. She was in a pre-match interview with Renee Stubbs. She really had nothing to say about her preparation going into this match against Sabalenka. And she said, I, you know, I think I'm going to just promote my YouTube. And then she stared straight at the camera into <laughs> your soul and said, subscribe. Subscribe, I'd... gay, tennis, lesbians. <laughs> it is our time. <laughs> I had already subscribed, so I, I was good. But that was another incident where I felt Dasha was actually looking at me. I... I physically moved back from the screen. So, if you'd like to contribute to the podcast and help James continue to stalk (laughs) Dasha Kasatkina in 2024... It's not not like that. Tell us where you'd like him to meet her. (laughs) Uh, Several people, 
including Real Deal Neil and Tony, TJC05, offered GIFs and videos of Ostapenko personally ejecting a fan from the U.S. Open. It's unusual, but it happens. She was not having it that day. No. The gentleman was ejected. He came back. By her. Didn't he come back? He came to a neighboring court (laughs) and looked over at the court on which she was playing. (laughs) One of my favorite things about tennis this year from being on site, I don't know if this happens to any of you, but you're in public and in the case of a tennis tournament where you're attending multiple days, say on day one, you see somebody. And something about them strikes a chord with you or if you find something interesting about it. And in my case in Berlin, it was Arantxa Sanchez Vicario's sisters. What? Do you remember that? There were these two women who were twins. And I was like, oh, those are Arantxa's sisters. <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, yeah. I felt they like they exactly, looked like, yeah. like her. They would be similarly aged. Mm-hmm. But the two, three days I was there, all I could do was look for... It was like, where's Waldo? Where are the Sanchez Vicario sisters? <laughs> And then I'd be at one match, and then I see them up top on center court, not seated, but just walking around up top so they could overlook and see courts one and two at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they were always together. Okay. It was, I don't know. This is my, like, people watching. Yeah, yeah. Madness. So this is weirder than me, like, trying to seek out Dasha. No, not even close. <laughs> To be clear, the correlation here was the dude was kicked out who then was oh, overlooking from the other court. I which see. is something that we do all the time when we're roaming tennis right, rounds, but, right? But have never been kicked out of the court. Okay, yeah. Finally, at DE3EV, I don't know how to pronounce that, what it's meant to be, but that person it's says... It's not for you to know. <laughs> that one of the funniest moments in 2023 was Jesse Pagula dragging the tennis podcast at the US Open. Well, I know. We talked about this, and actually, um, David got in touch and was like, you know, it was funny, but here's what actually happened. And to reiterate, like, we were not, we were not trying to hate on the interaction. It was just really funny. It was a super funny moment. <laughs> it sucks that y'all were at the right. brunt of it. Said, by the way, um, weren't you I the was, ones? Weren't I you was the guy? Not crying. Aren't you from that account that tweeted that thing? <laughs> I was not crying. It was live and in color fact checking. I've got way too much money to cry over a tennis match. (laughs) Way, way too much money. We'll finish the episode with some retirements and some comebacks. Yana Chepalova retired. Do you remember that this was the lady who beat Serena back in Charleston like many moons ago? And we all thought that this was somebody to watch. Babe, I remember everybody who beat Serena. Okay. <laughs> Misaki Doi, Irina Falcone, Kirsten Flipkins, Annette Contavate. Crazy that we've spent such little time. Well, this is the first time she's being mentioned on this podcast. Yeah. Contavate had career-ending uh, back problems, lumbar disc problems, and retired at Wimbledon. Not even a year removed from being the number two player in the world. <laughs> right. And losing to Serena Williams in the second round of the U.S. Open in her farewell event mm-hmm. at the 2022 U.S. Open. Wild. Absolutely mad yeah. that this has happened. And so unfortunate for Contivate. Somebody who, unassuming in spots, solid in most. And someone who speaks 
English as a second language with a very refined British accent. This is something that... It is... I mean, it's very impressive. It perplexed you for many years. You would always say, why does she sound British? Why is she British? I, uh, in Italy, I had an Italian teacher who was Italian, and her English was impeccable, like received pronunciation British, and it was so eerie to me. Farewell to Annette, and honestly, tough luck. That really sucks. Sanya Mirza, we covered her as retiring on last year's year-end episode, but she came back to play at the, the Australian Open to officially retire this year. And then I think she showed up in Dubai maybe to do one final mm. event. Sam Stozer played her final event of her career at the Australian Open in 2023. Barbara Streetseva came back this year, returned to tour after having a baby, won a slam at Wimbledon, <laughs> is pregnant again, and... Retiring for good. And Coco Vandaway. And I feel like it is a full circle moment for this podcast because I recall covering Coco a lot in our early years. And now she's retired and I've seen her on, uh, what, Tennis Channel? Yeah. Uh, The best I will say about Coco Vandaway is that she's responsible for one of the most joyous moments of my life in tennis. Yeah. Yes. Venus Williams, unabashed, brimming with complete and utter joy. After beating her in the semifinals of the 2017 Australian Open, the twirl that will live forever. Comebacks, unretirements, return from leave, maternity or otherwise. Jenny Brady. Jennifer, Jen, Jenny. She's back. She was gone for nearly two years and people really didn't know what was going on. But she is a value add to the tour in my opinion. Shea Sue, of course, has decided to become a GOAT. Uh, Alina Svitolina <laughs> decided to become a goat. <laughs> Alina Svitolina to uh, a slam quarterfinal and semi back to back, a title in Strasbourg. Caroline Wozniacki uh, reaching the fourth round in the U.S. Open, and more to come. I did not put Shavashava on this. You put that no. On I was there. just being shady. You didn't have to mention it again. <sighs> uh, next year we are poised to see an Osaka comeback, a Kerber says she is returning from having a baby mm-hmm. and will return to the tour. Man, and like, did you know that Karolina Pliskova was a slam quarterfinalist at the beginning of this year? This tour is just unpredictable. And there'll be more people hatching and snatching in 2024. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There'll be more veterans putting their hand up again. Again, we're looking to who's going to topple Iga. Iga started mm-hmm. the year top, finished the year top. We'll start next year top (laughs) (laughs) she'll look to forget some of that stuff that happened in the middle but she is still the one to beat a sense that there's still more for her to unlock and if she does watch out that brings us to the end of the 2023 wta women's tennis season Uh, it's safe to say that this will be a little bit fuller than the men's wrap (laughs) it's just a little bit more to talk about more interest on our part Uh, But thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us through another WTA season. Again, we are now launching our fourth GoFundMe campaign. If you love the show, if you'd like to contribute, we appreciate it. We appreciate the support monetarily or otherwise. You can find the campaign at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. At Elliot JMR. Two L's, 
Two T's. And that's on Twitter and Blue Sky. Uh-huh. The podcast is now on Blue Sky, also at the Body Serve. Right, it may be a little bit different though. It may be Tennis John. There may not be an underscore because I got in there early. Okay. Anyway, the body serve is what's important. Which reminds me, we need to add our Blue Sky stuff to the link tree. Yes. There needs to be some updating. Uh, I know that currently there there is a very gate, gatekeepy. Uh, we are slowly getting more invite codes. We're happy to share them as they come up. So let us know. We will be back within a week, hopefully for the men's year-end wrap. And then we have our history episode that we are working on. Yes. So, two more episodes before we close Season 9 of The Body Serve. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for supporting us. Till next time. Thank you very much.